Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Thursday, May the 18th, 2023, at 11.08 a.m. Central Time. Now, today's focus, the de-churched, or the great de-churching. Are, are you familiar with this term, de-churched or de-churching? Are, are you familiar at all with this term, de-churching, D-E-C-H-U-R-C-H-I-N-G, or the de-churched? Are, are you familiar with that term in any way, shape, or form? If you've been paying attention, you probably are familiar with that term because there have been books written, and I don't even know how many podcasts have discussed this over, I would say, the last few years. But today, we're going to, at least for the today's focus, make that your focus today to start thinking about this concept of the great de-churching, the de-churched. And I really want you to just kind of think about where we are as a church in the United States of America and where we are headed and how do we address the great de-churching, okay? So before we really define it, before we really dig into it, let me just, I, I, I got my journal here. Let me just, I, I just, right before we went live, I grabbed a pencil and just wrote down five things that I think are happening to the church, five things that are happening to the church, because I keep describing at least for me, and, and I could be wrong, but if, if you're just, if you want my, I don't know if you believe it's an expert opinion or you, my amateur opinion or my foolish opinion, whatever you may think of my opinion, if you're, if you're interested in it, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so maybe you're interested in it. If you were to ask me, like if we were having a conversation and if you were to ask me, where do you see the church in 2023? I would say that the church in 2023 is currently undergoing a great transition. The church is transitioning and it's been transitioning for the last couple of years. And I don't know where this transition is going to actually, I don't know when it's going to stop. And I don't know where we, I don't know what it looks like when the transition is over, but the church is transitioning into something other than anything I have seen or have encountered, because this transitioning time has been really, 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 um, I, I, I can say discouraging, disheartening, frustrating, making me angry, make me just want at times to just walk away. And, and, and I, I've talked about my interaction with, you know, the church at large for a very long time, but something is happening. And, and I, and I think, I don't think anyone would disagree that something is happening within the church and I don't see it as a positive thing. So here are some things that I would I've pointed these out numerous times. I probably got these things written down on in journals all over the place. But here's just the one I wrote down today. Obviously, you know, I've been yelling and screaming about this. And this continues to take place. The political hijacking of the American church. The American church continues to be hijacked by political ideology. The church is becoming more and more political and becoming seen more as a political institution versus a theological or spiritual institution. 
And then political ideology seeks scripture in order to justify and to defend its political position. So scripture simply becomes a tool used by a political ideology in order to try to impose that political ideology on other people. It's really sinister. It's it's deceptive. It's evil. I, I, I cannot stand the political hijacking of the church. And as long as the church is in this transition, it's becoming a more political institution. And as it becomes a more political institution, Wait for it. Wait for it. More and more people are going to de-church. They're going to go through the process of de-churching. I think now you're getting where we're going with the the de-churched idea. More and more people are going to be like, look, if the church is going to become a political institution, then I'm not going to be a part of it. Others will maybe be drawn to it, but the, but so you could argue whether the numbers go up or whether the numbers go down, whether the numbers stay the same, the congregation there is going to be a different congregation than existed prior. Either the congregation is going to change and become more political or the non-political people are going to be pushed out. Like it, the whole thing is changing. So political hijacking. Second, I, at least I feel this. I think this has been going on for a long time. There's almost a spiritual apathy amongst the people. There's just a, there does, does, now I'm not saying in every situation, in every case, people seem to be more focused and have more of a passion and zeal for, again, political things and, and cultural issues and, and cultural bat- battles, but there doesn't seem to be a, a, a spiritual hunger, a spiritual fervor. There, now, it may it may show up in certain pockets, right? It may show up at certain times, but I think the general vibe is just a spiritual apathy. There's not a hunger. There's not a desire for scripture, for church history, for theology, for doctrine. Oh, it, there there are pockets of that. But I think the general vibe is a lack of a, 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 a very much present apathy. That's at least my feeling. Number three, distraction. I believe the church and Christians in general are just massively distracted. We're distracted by all the things the world has to offer. Look, we live in a culture where, I mean, just look at how many times a day you look at your phone. It's just how many times a day you're doing this, you're doing that. You're distracted. It's hard to be focusing on Christ and his word and, and scripture and spirituality and, and sin. And, 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 and uh, when you're just distracted, 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 distracted. So we have a congregation that's being politically hijacked, a congregation that's becoming more and more spiritually apathetic, but be, maybe becoming more passionate and zealous over cultural and political issues. And then we have a church where people are becoming more and more distracted from spiritual issues, once again, maybe to political or cultural issues. Number four, declining church attendance. More and more people are becoming less, how can we say, faithful to to, to church. In other words, they're used to, uh, I cannot speak for your churches. And, And I know I've watched, I watched this happen in the 90s and I was always confounded and confused by it in the 90s. Well, let me, let me take it back. Let me kind of go through my my normal, or at least my experience. My first church was a Southern Baptist church when I became a Christian in. And for, for, for that church, you had Sunday school, you had Sunday morning, you had Sunday night and Wednesday. And 
I, at least from my remembrance, there wasn't a, I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't any difference, but Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday, I, well, probably Wednesday was somewhat, was definitely different than Sunday morning, but it wasn't so shockingly different. It felt like that the people who were there for Sunday school, the people who were there for Sunday morning were basically the same people there for Sunday night and Wednesday night. There, there, I mean, there was definitely a difference, but it wasn't like, what, where is everybody, right? It seemed pretty similar to me. Then obviously I was a Lutheran, which we just basically had Sunday morning, so it didn't really matter. We didn't do anything else, okay? Then I, I was an independent fundamental Baptist in Papillion, Nebraska, and Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night was, I mean, about 95% identical. I mean, it was, re- it was very, very, very close. There was not much of a drop-off. There was not much of a drop-off. Then the next church I went to, which I, I guess you could say a, a not a, as strict as an independent fundamental Baptist church. This is where I started really seeing like, what is happening? Because Sunday morning, that place was packed, right? It would be packed. And I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. And it was a large, you know, I felt like a large church. Come Sunday night, half of that place is empty. Come Wednesday night, we didn't even bother meeting in the sanctuary. We met downstairs. I guess they called it a fellowship hall. I don't know what they called it. Sitting in a semi-commercial or a semi-commercial, a semi-circle with some metal chairs. And it was like, what just, how, how in the world can you go from a Sunday morning with that many people and Wednesday night, you're now downstairs, not even in the sanctuary in a semi-circle with some metal chairs. Like, I mean, you're down to like 40 people, 30 people. Like it was insanity. Like, how could there be that much of a drop-off? Then I come to Texas. I, I visit lots of churches, so I can't n- n- guarantee. I could not st- state with any dogmatic certainty exactly how all the other churches were working. And then I become a pastor. Well, in my church, I really stressed this. Hey, we've got to be here for every service. We've got to be here for every service. We need to be here for every service, right? So Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday was almost identical. It was just identical. I mean, like there was, I mean, a lot of people would say that, that was the craziest thing they'd ever witnessed. And, and when they came to our church, it's like the people here for Sunday school or the people here for Sunday night or the same people here for Wednesday. It was awesome. It was great. I probably, I probably took it for granted at some point. And now not even the same for my church. The people at Sunday school, I mean, very small. And then people show up for Sunday morning and then come Sunday night. Then, then we're right back down. Well, I mean, we're doing, we're doing okay, but somewhat different than it was for Sunday morning. And then Wednesday, once, once again, you're barely making it. Now, I know, no, any reasonable person would say, any thoughtful person would say, well, you know what? Then just get rid of your Wednesday night or just get rid of your Sunday night. You know, just, just go to Sunday morning. In fact, if nobody wants to come to Sunday school, just go Sunday morning and just get rid of all the other services. Just basically become a Lutheran, right? And, and, uh, but there's a part of me that says no, but clearly church attendance as, I mean, this is across the board. There's always exceptions, but something is happening in the church where more and more people are not showing up. They show up only when they want to show up. And it's, it's having a profound and negative impact on churches. I mean, it just is. Uh, you have to start either canceling services. You have to, I mean, you don't know what to do. So something is happening in the church. Those are some just things I have mentioned, right? Political hijacking, spiritual apathy, 
um, distraction, declining church attendance. Oh, and one more. There's one more. I almost forgot. So we definitely have declining church attendance. Something is just not right. People are much more prone now to just be like, well, I'll just show up for this one and not that one. I don't know if the attitudes of the people have changed or, or do you take it back to their being distracted? Does it go back to their spiritual apathy? Like if you've got spiritual apathy and you're distracted, church attendance is going to go down. Right? I mean, I I think they're all linked together. So number one was political hijacking. Number two, spiritual apathy. Number three, distraction. Number four, declining church attendance. And I said five, and I almost forgot the fifth one. Technology. Technological advances and technological changes within the church can, can greatly contribute to people not showing up. Why show up if I can just listen? Now, I hear, I always think that people think that they will listen. Now, if you really dig into the analytics, sometimes you're like, let's see, this many people were gone and this is how many people listened. And something, if those people would have been present, okay, I can understand that. But they, those people were absent and the streaming numbers did not go up per that number of people missing. So then for, therefore, you know that they didn't listen. And of course, if you really look at your analytics, depending on which uh, program you're using, it will break it down not only to the state, not uh, to the very city and to the very type of device they were using to listen. So, so I mean, you can really narrow, narrow it down. I try not to look at the statistics, but you can see. But technological advances do make it easy for some people to say, well, I just won't show up. I'll just listen. Now, some people will listen. That's great. That's at least using the technology. A lot of people say they will listen. They don't listen. Therefore, the technology just becomes an excuse for not showing up because they will tell themselves that they're going to listen and then they don't. Like, so, but technology definitely is changing the church as well. I mean, there's just no way to get around it. Technology is changing the church. So those are the five things that I see happening now. Political hijacking, a great spiritual apathy. A distracted congregation, a, 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 a congregation that is de- their church attendance is declining and becoming less and less and less. And a church that is now facing technological changes and technological advances, which is going to transform the church into something. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it is happening. I am. I am pretty convinced that those five things that most people would agree upon. Now, how that's impacting the church, what is the how is what what is that going to lead to? I think that's where the disagreement would be. I don't think anyone could disagree with those five things the church is facing. Now you add all of those five things together. Now we can introduce our word dechurching or dechurched. Now here's what we're going to do. First, I'm going to point you to a book. Second, we're going to review a podcast that started, I, I don't even know when this aired, um, but uh, they start talking about the whole de-churching phenomenon, the philosophy of it, and we're going to review some of it, and uh, maybe we'll finish reviewing uh, the rest of it tomorrow. We'll see. We'll just see how far we can get in this episode. I know today's focus is only supposed to be 15 minutes. So see, technically I could have just stopped right there and say, here's where I see the church is going. And tomorrow we'll talk. Well, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't worry about time sometimes. Probably should worry about time, but 
I'm not going to worry about time. But today's focus is de-churched, the great de-churching. And I do want you to write down those five things that I think are happening to the church. Political hijacking, spiritual apathy, distraction, declining church attendance, and technology. And you can tell me what you think about each one and whether you agree whether you agree or disagree. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, and tell me what you think. But here is the first thing I want to point you to. Now, this book, I'm going to point you to this book. It's not yet published. You can pre-buy it, right? I have it saved. So this book will be coming out, I believe, August or September of 2023. All right, August or September of 2023. You're going to have to start looking this up, start researching this uh, so that you can save it. We may do a book giveaway once the thing is released. It is somewhat expensive, but let me start telling you about it, all right? The book is called The Great... Dechurching, the great dechurching. And then underneath it, here's kind of the subject line, right? So the great dechurching, who's leaving? Why? Where? Oh, okay, let me read this again. The great dechurching, who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? The great dechurching, Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? The authors are Jim Davis, Michael Graham, and Ryan P. Burge. Jim Davis, Michael Graham, and Ryan P. Burge. It's called The Great Dechurching. It's coming out in the next couple of months. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Here is the description. In the great de-churching, Jim Davis, Michael Graham, along with renowned sociologist Dr. Ryan Burge, examines the largest and most comprehensive study of de-churching. The largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. So we are currently watching the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. We are witnessing it right now. Now, they, they examine this. This is They study this to drill down to exactly why people are de-churching with respect to beliefs, behaviors, and belonging. The book gives the church in America its first ever deep dive into the de-churched phenomenon. Readers will learn about the de-churched through a detailed sketch of demographic size, core concerns, church off-ramps, historical roots, and the gravity of what is at stake. Then they will explore what can be done to show, to slow the bleed, engage the pertinent issues winsomely, and wisely and hopefully re-church some of the de-churched. The Great De-Churching. I want you to look up the book if you cannot find it. In fact, I'm going to save this to my notes. I can send you the link. It'll be saved. And then we will possibly, we'll definitely be talking about this book. We'll definitely possibly be giving away copies for those who really want to deep dive into this. Now you may say, well, it doesn't really matter to me. I can understand it may not matter to you. It may not. 
If you go to church, it may matter because you may turn around one day and realize what happened to your church and how is the church so changed? Why is the church so transformed? What is going on? You need to know what's happening. And this de-churching, this again, as they put it, the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history and you're living through it right now. I think it's worthy. I think it's time to wake up and pay attention to it. I know you're distracted by a million things. I may, I know you may have an apathetic attitude. It's like, who cares? Maybe it's time to care. Maybe it's time to put down the distraction. And maybe we try to figure out where the church is headed. All right. Does that sound good? Okay. Now, the next thing. From May the 10th. So from this month, May the 10th, 2023, the Gospel Coalition did a podcast entitled, Who are the de-churched in America and why did they leave? Who are the de-churched in America and why did they leave? And we're going to review some of that audio here. It's from the podcast, As in Heaven, that's the name of the podcast, and see if some of these names sound familiar. In this episode, host Jim Davis welcomes guest Ryan Burge and Michael Graham to discuss the de-churched in America. Who are they and why did they leave? They discuss detailed insights about the 40 million adult Americans who have de-churched in the last 30 years and talk in depth about the four different profiles of de-churched evangelicals. Please note, 40 million Americans have de-churched in 30 years. That's absolutely staggering. What is happening? What is going on? Now, you'll notice those names are connected with the book. See? See how that see how it works? See? Am I clever? Okay. All right. Probably not. So let's, let's start with this. Are you ready? I know we spent 21 minutes trying to set all of this up, but let's dive into this and let's see how far we can get with this and see what we can learn. So here we go. We're going to go to the podcast, As in Heaven. You should look it up, As in Heaven. You should subscribe to it. We will start a review of this and, and, and analyze this, critique it, and see whether we agree or disagree, mainly just trying to get us some insight into this. Then I want to, everyone to look up the book, The Great Dechurching, and possibly pre-order it so that it will arrive as soon as it is released. All right, here we go. Welcome to As in Heaven Season 3. My name is Jim Davis. I am your host and the pastor of Orlando Grace Church. As in Heaven is a podcast with the Gospel Coalition that looks at one topic each season, and this season is looking at the de-churching of America. 30 to 50 million Americans used to go to church but no longer do, making this the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. So our hope is to understand the shift how it's affecting the very fabric of our society, why people are leaving, where they are going, and what we can do to win them back. And I'm joined this morning by two guests, Dr. Ryan Burge and Michael Graham. We got to know Ryan, I guess. Now, I would challenge you, I would, I would challenge you to do this because this is a today's focus. So I want you to consider the things I've written down, right? The five things I've given you, political, hijacking, spiritual apathy, distraction, declining church attendance, and technology, right? Okay, now, here's what I would challenge you to do. I want you to come up with three reasons, 
three reasons that you think so many millions upon millions of Americans have de-churched. They have, they, they've, they've let, walked out the door. They've left the church. What are the three reasons? Now, the go-to ace up the sleeve is obviously they went out from among us because they were never of us because they're not saved. That's our first go-to, right? Because that's what the church always does. If someone if someone basically does anything that we don't like, we just say, they were never saved. We always love to play that card like we're somehow God. They're not saved. Now, I, I understand if someone de-churches, you can raise some questions. I'm not saying you can't, but I'm just saying, let's set that one aside for now. Three reasons why you think so many people have de-churched. So many. Now, I think I've I think I've given you a couple. I think I've given you a couple, right? In fact, if you put all of mine together, well, if the church is being politically hijacked and you're not political and you don't think the church should be, you're going to de-church. If you're becoming more and more spiritual apathetic, just more and more spiritual apathetic in your life, church is going to play a smaller and smaller, it's going to become of, of smaller and smaller importance in your life. It's going to become less and less important. If you're distracted by a million things, well, then church is going to be one of the things you, you are distracted from. You're going to be you're going to be focusing on other things. And so then guess what? If, if, if you become spiritually apathetic and distracted, well, then your church attendance is going to suffer. And the more your church's attendance begins to suffer, it's going to get easier and easier and easier just to walk away. And then uh, because of technology, you may de-church because you realize maybe you're getting more from sitting at your house than you are going to an actual building. I think all of that leads to the de-churching. But I would love for you to give me three reasons why you think so many people are de-churching. Why? And if you know people who have de-churched, right? If you know people, you're like, they used to go to church and they no longer go to church. Don't don't say, say hey, I'm not trying to argue with you, uh, but there's a podcast that wants to uh, find out why people de-church. So can you give me the two, re- one reason, two reasons, or three reasons why you de-church, why you left? It may be a change of beliefs. They abandoned Christianity. It may be, I hate church because this is what they did to me. Like, I would love to know. I would love to know. I, w- I don't need their names, but I would love, like, hey, I talked to 10 people. Here you go. Don't make it up, obviously. I'm, I'm going to trust that your information's accurate, but I would love to know what, what is causing the de-churching. Let's see what they have to say. That's around two years ago when we were in the middle of recording our last season, we were trying to wrap our minds around what data actually existed on de-churching America when we realized that there really wasn't much data out there. And some the data that did exist was either older or really didn't pass academic standards. So we engaged Ryan as the chief data scientist and sociologist on our research for this podcast, and we commissioned him to do an academically peer-reviewed nationwide quantitative study, that's a mouthful, to prove or disprove this thesis. We are currently in the middle of the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country, and we proved it. And we then commissioned two more studies to better understand this phenomenon. And the results were very interesting and actually more hopeful than what we anticipated. So this data not only informed our podcast, but the three of us have contributed to a book called The Great Dechurching that will come out through Zondervan in the summer of 2023. Ryan has also written a really helpful book on a related subject entitled The Nuns. This is a book that unpacks the fastest growing category of religious self-identification, so those who identify as nothing in particular. And not only is Ryan an excellent sociologist, data scientist, and writer, 
but he's also a pastor of a church in Illinois. He very much sees the nature of the de-churching phenomenon from a very rare perspective as both an academic and as clergy, and we're thankful for all the work that you've done with us on this topic, on the book, on the podcast, and we're just really thankful to have you come on here today. So thanks for joining us, man. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you guys. I'm glad to be on the podcast today. And then our second guest is our executive producer, Michael Graham. Michael also works for the Gospel Coalition. Previously, Mike served with me at Orlando Grace Church as our executive pastor, so we have a lot of history together. Uh, Mike did much of the initial study design, development, air traffic controlling for the study, and the data organization. So, Mike, thanks for being here with us today. Glad to be here with you, Jim. All right, my first question, Mike, is for you. Can you tell us a little bit about why we decided to do entire season on de-churching in America? Yeah, so in 2018, our church, Orlando Grace Church, uh, hired you, Jim, um, to be our next teaching pastor, and we were doing some analysis together on our city. We'd come across some data that said basically 2 million people of the little over 4 million people in our metro area had de-churched, and at the time, that was 42% of our city. So from a missiological standpoint, that was a jaw-dropping number for us. So in our context, that meant that outside of gender, the single largest demographic in our city was people who were de-churched. That's insane. 42% of a city had de-churched? So at one point, these 42% of people were part of a church, and now they're... they're so the largest section of your city, are if you want to categorize people, are the de-churched. That's, that's crazy. It's also crazy that churches hire people to do these kinds of studies to figure out the, the, the demographics of the city, which they're trying to reach. I mean, I don't, I don't know about demographic. I mean, I don't know. You, we, we, that's a whole debate we could have. Should churches, to be more effective in reaching their city, their state, their country, be doing studies to try to understand the demographics and the makeup of the people they're trying to reach? Or do you just, I don't know. See, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 that to me, I, I, I struggle. I, I, and here's the reason why. I've always viewed church, just as just my, this is just my perspective, is that I, I, for the church, as far as the church is concerned, I'm not trying to reach the loss for church. Now, listen to what I'm trying to say. The church, I'm trying to reach believers so that they can be equipped so that they can go out and do the work of ministry. That the church gathers for equipping and they leave to evangelize. And that each individual has their responsibility to meet people and evangelize, that that's an individual thing. I, I, and, and I know not, all, not everyone agrees with that, but I think if you're not careful, then the church just becomes a, a place of evangelism, where I think the problem is, is it's not, it's lost, stopped becoming a place of equipping. But that, that's neither here nor there. That's crazy that in that one area, I wonder how many, how much of the population of the city you live in are de-churched. I mean, I guess you could, you could grab a clipboard and start going around every day, knocking on doors. Hey, not selling anything, not asking for money. Just need to ask you a question, right? There is this category of people referred to as de-churched, meaning they used to go to church and they have dropped out. Would you say that describes you? Yes. Could you give me two reasons why you left church? Thank you. That's all we wanted. Didn't mean to bother you, right? It would be interesting to, if someone wanted to go look at their city and see what they would discover, what they would find, you know, because it would be, it would be, I mean, 
man, that, that's just crazy. I mean, remember, they set out to prove or disprove their hypotheses that we're undergoing the greatest religious shift in history. They say they've proven it. Now, they say there's some hope in it. I don't, they may be more hopeful than I am. I'm much more cynical in this, but okay, let, let's just see what else they discovered. So me and, me and Jim both kind of looked at each other and realized we were kind of rapidly needed to understand a lot more than what was going on. So for two years, we read everything we could get our hands on that was even tangentially related to dechurching. And so, as Jim mentioned before, as in Heaven's a podcast that does a deep dive on one really complicated subject per season. So because we'd done all this and, you know, all these things were on our minds and because there was urgency in our context, we knew that after our second season, delving into the, you know, the concept of racial, racial justice in America, that we needed to do season three on the subject of dechurching. And so there wasn't much data that was available and what was there was unhelpfully old. The data sets um, were not publicly available for analysis. And those those things had not gone through like a university academic review review board process. So that put me on a journey um, to put together um, an excellent team of sociologists, which included, you know, Ryan, who we're obviously talking with here today, as well as Paul Jupe, um, who's another excellent um, sociologist of religion and political science, to do a joint clergy and academic study on the dechurching phenomenon so we could have up to the minute data as to what was going on. So over the course of 2021 and 2022, we conducted three increasingly and more granular studies on dechurching, each with several thousand people surveyed and with several hundred data points per person surveyed. All right, so Ryan, I want to talk about this data a little bit. First, a little bit of defining terms and then how we got the data, what the data means, why we can trust it. So the first question is just, can you give us a definition for dechurching and tell us like how many how many de-church people in America there are roughly and when this phenom- phenomenon roughly started to pick up steam? Yeah, so that was actually the first, you know, the first goal of the of the research was trying to define this term that we all use, but we didn't really have a strong definition of. So for us, we settled on the idea of de-churching is people who used to go consistently to church at least once per week in their past. And now on the survey, they say they go to church less than once per year. Um, you know, we tried a belonging definition that didn't really work as well because some people can still belong to a church, but never really go to a church. So we thought attendance was the best way to describe a de-churched individual. Based on that definition, we estimate that about 40 million adult Americans are de-churched. Um, and we kind of, you can kind of track the timeline. We ask people, you know, when did you stop attending? When are you the, were you the most religious? When were you most religiously active? And we kind of see this cascade of events that happen. You know, the main line, which you're like, you're not United Methodist, you're Episcopalians, you're United Church of Christ, you're sort of moderate or even liberal Protestants began dechurching first in the 1980s. Um, then, Okay, so the way they're defining it is more about church attendance. You used to go at this level of frequency, you stopped, and now you go less than once a year or around once a year. Okay, so you've completely basically dropped out of church. You're showing up once a year, meaning you're probably showing up for Christmas or some something like that. And that's about it. You've completely dropped out. You're not going to be there week after week after week after week. You have de-churched. You have separated yourself from the church in any meaningful measurement. Now, now that's not, this is not referring to what, how they're engaging church or Christianity or theology outside of the church. That's very important to make sure we understand this. At this point, they're just saying they used to attend. Now they've stopped. 
So a de-churched person is someone who attended on a regular, consistent basis and now has stopped all the way to possibly only attending once a year. They've dropped out completely. That does not mean that they're, because this is very important, because I believe there are many out of that, say, 40 million people have de-churched. I don't know the number, and hopefully in their study, they will break this down. How many of those de-churched people are listening to sermons, doing Bible study? They're still pursuing Christ. They still believe in Christianity, but they've de-churched. And how many of that, of those 40 million, have completely not only left the church, have left Christianity? So I think that there is a distinction when we talk about de-churched, that all we're saying is here's people who used to be there, and now they're not. That does not say anything about where they are spiritually. I think we have to really, really, really draw that distinction. I'm assuming they will, but I'm really, 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 really want you to get that down. All right. So here they are. They were there. And then all of a sudden they're gone. And they say it started in the more liberal denominations, the more liberal denominations. Now, I remember I've said this over and over. If you go to some of those mainline liberal denominations that a lot of people look at and call them the woke church, or they become, you know, politically hijacked by liberals. Remember, I I have stated it over and over. The political hijacking of those churches did not occur until after they had abandoned historical biblical Christianity. So those liberal churches abandoned historical biblical Christianity and replaced it with more of a liberal political ideology, okay? So it says it started with them, and I think it said in the 80s, in the 80s, right? So if we go to the 80s, let's just say that starting in the 1980s, the de-churching phenomenon began, but it started in the very liberal, I will say apostate denominations is where it started. Catholics sort of started de-churching in mass about 10 years later. Um, Even Okay, so then I guess 80s were the liberal denominations, and then the 90s, Catholics started de-churching in mass, all right? So kind of follow this timeline, follow this timeline. The, the Catholic de-churching in mass, I wonder if that had a lot to do with the, you know, sex abuse scandals, children being molested, and all of the horrific information that started coming. I wonder if it was connected to that. I don't know. Uh, that, that's something we could, we could see. Evangelicals took a little bit longer. We say, see in the data that the evangelical de-churching really started in the mid-1990s and has picked up speed um, through the 1990s and the early 2000s. You know, All right, Then the evangelicals catch up. I guess you could say catch up. Start de-churching. They say the mid-1990s. That's interesting. I would have probably put it into 2000s. Um, so because in the 1990s, I put it put it this way. If it was happening, I did not recognize it in the 1990s. I did not. I did not. I probably wouldn't have started realizing something was starting to change uh, you know, until the 2000s. And even in there, that's just weird. I would I would love to see the data from say because if you were to ask me, I would have said the great de-churching really exploded. I would have pr- probably put put it around 2000. Between 2010 and 2015, 16 is where I would have put it. But but maybe because I'm trying to connect the de-churching with the political hijacking. But I digress. Let's see. Let's see what they say. 
COVID's a difficult thing to add to this whole mix because some people stopped going to church because they couldn't go to church. So we're not really sure um, what the long-term impact on de-churching is COVID's had right now. Um, and we're not even sure if we've hit peak rate yet um, because the rate of de-churching has begun to slow down as there just there's not enough people who used to be churched. So there's kind of a natural ceiling on the data when fewer and fewer people are going to church to begin with. De-churching can't go up because they were never chur- churched in the first place. Um, but we're already past the mark in America. Just remember the categories. De-churched used to go to church, say, weekly and then completely stopped. The unchurched never church. So de-churched, you get it. Unchurched, never church. And then you can call the churched or the church. Those who are continuing are, are still actively participating and are present. So the de-churched, the unchurched, and we'll say the churched. Okay. That, that's, those are the, we'll call them the, the three categories. All right. where less than half of Americans go to church. Never attenders are a larger number than weekly attenders in America. And that happened somewhere over the last five or 10 years. So, Ryan. So over the last five or 10 years, you have more people now not going to church than going to church. So we've had a major shift and see the last five or 10 years. See, that's where, see, if you, if you were to ask me, I, I just, I really believe I hate, I, I'm not saying I can prove this. I'm not saying I can prove this. And, I, and I'm saying, and I'm not, I'm not causing, a, I'm not referring to cause and effect. Just if I looked for like a historical marker, the implosion of Mars Hill, the implosion of Mars Hill's church. I'm not saying it causes it, but the implosion of that church just seemed to be to mark. I'm not saying it was the cause. Please hear me. I'm not saying it was the cause. The implosion of Mars Hill's church seems to be, to me, the marking of a dramatic change in the entire evangelical world. And it just seemed like the church started going, I think it started, the de-churching started happening in large numbers. And then we see almost within a year or two, the utter political hijacking of the American church. I, I cannot prove that, but I, just in my mind, that's where I mark it. That Mars Hill, Mars Hill's, Mars Hill church is, in a sense is in flames. And then I'm not saying it's the cause. And that marks that the church now is just de-churching, 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 spiritual apathy, spiritual distraction, you know, church attendance starts declining and then the political hijacking takes over. And anecdotally, my wife is finishing up her counseling degree at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Orlando. And when she was starting, she took an apologetics class and she wanted to do her her final research paper on the de-churching in America. We'd been talking about it a little bit. And her professor said, I would love for you to do that, but there's just nothing out there. And, and what little is out there, he didn't consider to be academically credible. So what I want to ask you, what makes this different? Can you briefly explain why your data is more academically credible than what's out there? And then how you go, how you go and get a big set of data on this group of people, how we begin to make sense of that data. Um, and in that, can you briefly explain in very basic terms, because you're a scientist, we're not, how you fed this big set of data, um, data machine learning algorithm and how that spits out clusters of people with common answers. I've learned a ton through this process. 
process from you and Mike and others. Uh, and I'd just love for you to share a little bit about that with the audience. Yeah, so we the one the one goal that we had was to make this as academically rigorous as possible. You know, this is not some church folks sitting around trying to, you know, make some data. They, you know, a lot of unfortunately in, in the evangelical community, especially, there's all these statistics that sort of float around that have very dubious origin stories. They probably weren't academically collected. You know, it's probably like 500 people they you know ask at a random church one day. We wanted to bypass all that stuff, and so we went to Qualtrics, and Qualtrics is a a business-grade survey platform that is used by people who work in market research, but also people who work in academia. They are considered you know, one of the gold standard panel survey firms in America. They handle all this kind of stuff soup to nuts. They have a, a terrific um, online platform to make surveys with that universities have access to. You can make your own survey and send it out yourself. Or you can make a survey with Qualtrics and then have them find people for you to do that survey, and that's exactly what we did. Um, we started with a survey of 1,000 people because we had to just figure out what percentage of Americans were dechurched to begin with. So we just did a random sample of 1,000 people. They handle all that back-end stuff. So they have a whole stable. They have a whole worksheet that says, you know, here we have people – how many people do we have under the age of 35? How many you know, black people? How many women? And if they need more of those kind of groups, they can go right to that panel and say, we need you to take the survey, and then they pay people to take the survey. You know, it costs us five, six bucks a head to do that, and they give most of that to the people taking the survey. So we went to Qualtrics to give us 1,000 people. We need to figure out what percentage are dechurched. Then we figured out what percentage of Americans were de-churched, and we had them do a second, much larger sample of just de-churched people. Now, we had to send all that, by the way. All those surveys we did had to go through an institutional review board at Paul Jupe's University, Denison University in Ohio, to ensure that what we were doing was academically rigorous but also ethically correct. You know, We're not causing any harm to anyone, and so the data that we collected – we can use that data to publish in peer-reviewed academic journals with. It meets all the standards that anything that we pub. We actually use Qualtrics on our own for our own survey projects outside this project. So that just shows you how you know high-level Qualtrics is and how well-respected they are amongst quantitative social scientists. So we got that that huge second survey of a couple thousand de-churched people. And then we tried to figure out if we could feed that into an algorithm that would cluster those de-churched people into different types of de-churched people. So think about this. You know, we have a, a grocery store called Kroger, um, which is our, our local grocery. They have a chain all across America. They're I used to live in Mississippi. I know Kroger. Yeah, exactly. Kroger's everywhere. They have a card, like a little card you scan to get a discount on what you buy. Um and the reason they do that is so that they can target you for coupons and ads and promotions later on. They can kind of know what kind of shopper you are based on what you buy, and that little tag is what you know tracks your shopping over time. They can tell when you have kids. They can tell when the kids leave the house. They can tell when your kids are getting older just by what you're buying and when you're buying it. They take all that data and cluster their shoppers into different categories of shoppers. Let's say empty nesters versus you know young professionals versus families versus retired people. And so they can target you with ads all using this clustering algorithm. Well, we did the exact same thing with de-church people, and we said, okay, let's take like these 20 or 30 variables. We'll feed it into the algorithm, you know, these 2,000 de-church people, these 600 data points, and we said, make these clusters for us, algorithm, and then we'll try to figure out what is generating those clusters. The thing about algorithms are they're a black box. It doesn't give you a whole you know, printout of why it created the clusters, but once you look at how those clusters are all sorted out – 
these patterns begin to emerge where you can see the algorithm sort of making sense of what creates these different clusters and what the hallmarks of them are. And so then, you know, the three of us kind of work together to say, okay, this cluster has these characteristics and this cluster has those characteristics and hear how they're different. And that's really formed that, you know, the backbone of the book is trying to figure out what these clusters were and what they mean and how they can be reached to come back to church. Okay. We will stop right there. I'm going to give you all the information here. I'm going to write down the timestamp here. Um, 40. 18. Dechurched. All right. We will, we will definitely continue this tomorrow. Who knows? I may do a, a special episode of today's focus this evening because I, I definitely would like to do this. So let, to, to possibly finish this, but let's do this. First thing, the book is called The Great Dechurching. Look it up and pre-order it. The Great Dechurching. Who's leaving? Why are they going? And what will it take to bring them back? Jim Davis, Michael Graham, Ryan P. Burge, and you just heard from some of those individuals. Uh, the book, I, I have it at lifeway.com is where I found it. It's probably obviously will be available on Amazon. And it's $24.29 right now. The regular price will be like $27. I would say pre-order it now. Um, we may do some giveaways of the book once it is released. It will be sometime this summer. So please look that up. Second, that podcast that we were just reviewing is called As in Heaven. As in heaven, please find that on the podcast app of your choice. Look for the episode, the May 10th, 2023 episode, Who Are the Dechurched in America and Why Did They Leave? Remember, this entire season of that podcast is about the dechurched phenomenon, the dechurched and the dechurching phenomenon. I've given you what I think is the reason I want you to come up with three Three reasons you think people are dechurching. Three, three, other than just trying to claim they're not saved. Because remember, now they say that they've broken these people down into these clusters. I can't wait to see because I hope there is a cluster. This is what I'm hopeful for. This is what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful, and because I really believe this, I don't have the empirical scientific data as they have. I don't have that. I just have my own gut feeling, and here's my own gut feeling. That there is a, out of the 40 million that have dechurched, there is a, I cannot say it's the majority, but there is a large section of that dechurched who would tell you they still believe in Jesus. They still love Jesus. They do Bible study. They listen to sermons. They listen to Christian podcasts and they, but they just became utter disillusioned, frustrated, and basically angry at the institutionalized church. And they have left it and they're not coming back. Now, whether you agree or disagree with them, my view or my thinking is, well, then how can I minister to those people who are de-churched? How, what can I do to equip them, disciple them? Now, you may argue, no, what we have to do is get them back to the church. We got to get them back to the church. That, I, that would have been my attitude years ago. Now I'm not so much committed to try to get, get them back to the church because I believe the church is undergoing such a transition. And in some cases, I believe it's more harmful than it is doing good, right? I, now, and, and I and don't think I'm, I'm saying, well, so you're saying give up on church. I'm a pastor of a church. So obviously I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the church right now has turned into a political institution, it's turned into um, something other than. So I, so I can understand. Now, if you can find a good one, yeah, you need to go and support it. 
Because if you don't go and support it, then there's not going to be a good one left. Okay. So if you're, if there's a good one, we need people supporting the good ones, right? Because just think about this. This is just, just for the de-churched out there. If you're sitting at home benefiting from a church somewhere, you can't, you don't attend. All I'm saying is you better support it because if you don't support it, then you're not going to get their teaching because they're not going to exist. All right. I, that's all I know. Because, I mean, think about this podcast. Think about all the things that we produce. My church goes away. They can't financially support this. There's a high probability, a large, in other words, we would have to restructure this dramatically. All the, the, the curriculum we provide, that would be gone. Uh, all the different ways we live broadcast would be gone. We couldn't do all of it. There's just no way. I mean, we, we're, 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 we're close to what? Almost $200 a month for us to do all the things that we do. All right. So if, if it's, if it's not supported, then it doesn't exist. So a lot of times the de churched benefits from the churched, right? In other words, the, the de churched are sitting at home. They're not attending the church. In many cases, they're not financially supporting the church, but they're still benefiting from the church. So like that, that that's going to be like a, a weird, like, you know, I, sometimes I think the de-church can forget that. Hey, you keep producing the sermons, you keep producing the stuff, I'll keep benefiting from it. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to be there and we're not going to financially support it, but you keep giving me the content. I mean, that's something that someone's going to have to look at. Like if you're the de-churched and you're a part of that where you're benefit, you're still benefiting from the church. Does, does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. So I hope they break it down into those categories. But this is a, this is a, I mean, if we're undergoing the great, just think about this. According to them, they have proven with, with empirical, you know, scientific data that they've compiled and it's being peer reviewed and everything else. If they have clear, let's just say hypothetically, if they have proven, they think they have proven their hypotheses, but let's just say it's true that we're undergoing the greatest religious shift in the history of this country, what does that mean for your church? What does it mean for your own spirituality? What does it mean for the Christianity in America? Now they think they, they hinted that they find it hopeful. I'm not as hopeful, but I'm more than willing to listen to them. So there's the book, there's the podcast. Please go subscribe to their podcast. And I would love to get you into engage in this subject today. The great dechurching, the dechurched. What does it mean moving forward? And what are things going to look like? I, I think I, I just told someone who I was having a conversation with, I think the key is going to be five years from now. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to be done with this transition and we're going to kind of see what the church is going to be going forward in about five years. In about five years, we're going to turn around and what we're going to see is going to be different than what we have ever seen in our lifetimes. That's my prediction. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That is your today's focus for Thursday, May the 18th, 2023.